What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Mayalari. So today I'm going to do a quick recap of what happened in the Week 16 part of the season for the NFL last week. I'm going to break down Week 17 and give a preview of that, some matchups today, and some playoff scenarios. So I'll start off with some news, though, in the NFL. J.J. Watt just announced his retirement a few days ago. He will play his last two games in Arizona, then call it a career. Ten years with Houston, two years with Arizona. J.J. Watt is only one of three players ever to win Defensive Player of the Year three times. He joins Aaron Donald and Lawrence Taylor in that category there. So pretty impressive there. On the season, he had a very good year, 33 combined tackles and nine and a half sacks. That's actually the most sacks he's had since 2018. Now I'm going to move on to the Jets situation with Zach Wilson. Mike White will be back as a starter quarterback today against Seattle. On the year, Mike White, three touchdowns and two picks in three starts with zero touchdowns and two interceptions over his last two games. People to stop acting like, Mike White's a saving grace, and he's an ex-Joe Montana. For a backup, yeah, he's solid, but he isn't the future of the franchise. People act like, oh, Mike White's playing, so now the Jets are all of a sudden going to be a Super Bowl team. That's not the case. Now that brings me to who the Jets picked at second overall in 2021, who they drafted to be the next franchise quarterback, Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, his first 22 career starts, 8-14 record, a 70.9 passer rating, 15 touchdowns, and 6.44 yards per attempt. In total, he had 15 touchdowns and 18 picks with a 55.2% completion percentage, averaging 182.8 passing yards per game, and has six fumbles with two of those being lost and five rushing touchdowns. So overall, in his career now, 22 starts, 20 total touchdowns, 20 turnovers. You look at Jamarcus Russell, his first 22 starts. 7-15 record, so one less win than Zach Wilson. A 70.8 passer rating compared to Zach Wilson's 70.9. 15 touchdowns, the same as Zach Wilson in his first 22 career starts. In 6.34 yards per attempt, Zach Wilson's at 6.44 yards per attempt. 16 total touchdowns for Jamarcus Russell, or 16 passing touchdowns. He actually had a rushing touchdown as well in his first 22 starts. 16 passing touchdowns to 15 picks. Zach Wilson's 15 touchdowns to 18 picks. Jamarcus Russell, 52.74% completion percentage. Zach Wilson's a little bit better than that, 55.2%. 18 fumbles for Jamarcus Russell, with 12 of those being lost. And he averaged 158 yards per game passing while Zach Wilson averages 183 yards per game passing. So you look at it overall, Jamarcus Russell, 17 total touchdowns to 27 turnovers. Zach Wilson, 20 touchdowns to 20 turnovers in his first 22 starts. Well, the issue here is that everyone's making it like he's Jamarcus Russell. Yes, Zach Wilson does not look great right now. I'm not going to defend him and say he's been playing great. He should still be the starting quarterback for the Jets. But at the end of the day, he's only in his second year. He has a lot of time left to figure things out. You don't give the second overall pick just two years and then say, all right, let's call it quits and let's get rid of him. I mean, there's a chance the Jets do that in the offseason or they could bring another quarterback to maybe compete with Zach Wilson, maybe like a Jimmy Garoppolo to make Zach Wilson have to beat him out to try to win the job. And maybe Zach Wilson is just a backup next year. Who knows? But then when you take a guy second overall, especially a guy like Zach Wilson, you knew it was probably going to be a little bit of a project considering he didn't have a great year last year. This year was just going to be a building year. He didn't really have that building year this year. But at the end of the day, I think it's hard just to say after two years, okay, let's just get rid of him and let's move on. You took him second overall. You took Sam Donald third overall in 2018. Donald obviously didn't really have much help around him, didn't have really the defense that Zach Wilson has now. But at the end of the day, you can't give up on Sam Donald being your third overall pick and then say, okay, let's draft Zach Wilson and then give up on him after two years. You got to make a decision and try to roll with the guy. I know they went with Sam Donald for three years. But at the end of the day, you're probably going to have to roll with Zach Wilson for another year. I think you have to give him another year. And now I'm going to talk about Zach Wilson, how he played last week. Thursday Night Football versus Jacksonville. He played seven drives, was 9 of 18 passing for a 50% completion percentage, 92 passing yards, zero touchdowns, and an interception. 
That interception, though, is at the end of the first half. Not the biggest deal, in my opinion, getting a pick there. Of course, people that only look at the box score are going to see that and say, oh, Zach Wilson threw an interception. Well, if you only look at the box score, you wouldn't know that it was at halftime in a situation that was just, all right, let's throw a Hail Mary to see what happens. Wilson had a 41.9 quarterback rating in last week's game. For their last offensive drive of the night, the Jets took Zach Wilson out and put in backup quarterback Chris Strevler. Got the last drive for the Jets, went 3 of 5 passing for a 60% completion percentage for 41 passing yards and 86.2 quarterback rating with 6 carries to 37 yards, averaging 6.2 yards per rush, which is pretty impressive. All in all, for the Jets, on 7 drives to Zach Wilson, they only got 78 yards on offense. With just one drive under Chris Strevler, the Jets gained 83 yards. So 83 yards for Strevler in one drive. Seven drives to Zach Wilson, only 78 yards. Obviously, when you look at that, yes, Strevler did play better in that one drive. But as I said, Zach Wilson's only in his second year. I do think he probably could be done, very well could be done in New York. But if I was that GM of that team and I was the one making decisions like Joe Douglas is, I would probably give Zach Wilson another year since I took him second overall. And you really can't give up on a guy after his second year. I don't think you can, at least. I think you got to give him at least one more year. And I know he hasn't looked great. As I just said, Chris Strevler outgained him by five yards in six less drives. Obviously, that's not the best. But if you look at it, the Jets' offense on seven drives at Wilson, negative seven yards, four yards, one yard, negative two yards, 23 yards, 28 yards, and negative three yards. Those are the seven drives and what they gained on offense or what they lost on offense. Negative seven, four, one, negative two, 23, 28, and negative three. But one thing to keep in mind The Jets try to run the ball consistently on first down, and a good amount of drives on second down as well, they try to run the ball. And they were stopped before the line of scrimmage. Jacksonville's defensive line played pretty well. Setting up Zach Wilson and the Jets' offense on third and long multiple times. Zach Wilson faced third and 12, third and 18, third and 21, and third and 25 in four of those seven drives. So I know Zach Wilson struggled. I know that. But when you set up for third and 12 and third and 18 because you can't run the ball and you're consistently trying to run it on first and second down in the offensive line and the running backs have no room and no holes to really gain yards on, I mean, Zach Wilson really can't do much there. And I know Wilson struggled this year, only 15 passing touchdowns in his first 21 starts heading into last week, which is tied for fifth fewest among top two pick quarterbacks since 1967. 15 passing touchdowns in his first 21 starts is tied for fifth fewest among top two pick quarterbacks since 1967. That was according to a stat on Amazon Prime on Thursday night. But keep in mind who else was on that list. Terry Bradshaw had the fewest amount of touchdowns for a top two pick in their first 21 starts. Just 13 passing touchdowns in his first 21 starts. You know what happened for Terry Bradshaw at the end of his career? He retired with four Super Bowl rings and four Super Bowl appearances and ended up being a Hall of Famer. Troy Aikman was on that list as well. He had the third fewest passing touchdowns in his first 21 starts. Just 14 passing touchdowns for Aikman in 21 starts. Went on to win three Super Bowls and is also a Hall of Famer as well. Derek Carr's brother, David Carr, was on that list as well with 14 passing touchdowns in his first 22 starts. Never really panned out as an NFL starter, but was a first pick by the Texans. And yeah, there were some busts on that list. There were some busts. Ryan Leaf, only 13 passing touchdowns. Jamarcus Russell, 15 passing touchdowns. So 13 for Leaf and 15 for Russell in their first 21 starts. But I think at the end of the day, you have to give Zach Wilson another year. Especially considering on that list, yeah, there were some busts like Jamarcus Russell and Ryan Leaf. But look at two Hall of Fame quarterbacks in Terry Bradshaw, who won four Super Bowls, and Troy Aikman, who won three. Aikman had just 14 passing touchdowns in his first 21 starts. And Terry Bradshaw only had 13 passing touchdowns in his first 21 starts. So 27 combined touchdowns in their first 21 starts together. So 42 total starts. But if you look at it, they won seven Super Bowls together combined. You've got to give Zach Wilson another year. You have to give Zach Wilson another year.
in that game on Thursday night last week. Jacksonville won that to win their third game in a row, their first three-game win streak since 2017, which is pretty impressive. They totaled 365 yards, even with the poor weather, and they were moving the ball pretty consistently with Trevor Lawrence. So good win for the Jags, and they still have a chance now to make the playoffs, depending on what happens in a Week 18 showdown with the Tennessee Titans. No matter what happens today against the Texans, that division in the AFC South will be coming down to next week, Titans versus the Jaguars. Now I'm going to move on to the Denver Broncos. They just fired first-year head coach Nathaniel Hackett, just a fifth head coach to be fired in their first season since 1970. Urban Meyer being one of those five head coaches to be fired in their first season, joining Nathaniel Hackett. Obviously, Meyer was fired last year with the Jacksonville Jaguars, so two now in the last two years, there have been a first-year head coach fired before the end of the season. Nathaniel Hackett lost all control of this team, though, sadly. And Denver was really left with no option but to get rid of him. They had to fire Hackett. I mean, if you look at it, Last week's game for Denver, losing in the fashion they did to the Los Angeles Rams, who were really going nowhere and didn't have anyone playing. Aaron Donald wasn't playing. I mean, Jalen Ramsey was playing, but Aaron Donald wasn't playing. Obviously, they were without Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup. You can't lose that game in the fashion they did. 51-14. to 14. Can't lose that game in the fashion they did. And also on the sidelines, backup quarterback Brett Rippon and God Dalton Rizna were going at on the sideline over Russell Wilson getting sacked. And obviously there's a lot of frustration. A team that had high expectations before the season, not really getting the production and the wins that they thought they'd get by this point in the season. They thought at the end of the day, they'd be a Super Bowl team. I know that AFC West division, everyone was talking about like going to be the best division ever. And obviously it's been pretty underwhelming considering really with Kansas City's the powerhouse there. And then the Chargers will be in the playoffs. I mean, they had a good season, I guess, with the Raiders. And the Broncos obviously had disappointing seasons. So after only 15 games, Hackett was let go. 4-11 record in those 15 games. They had last place in the AFC West. And the Broncos, honestly, were just a disaster under them. There's no other way to look at it. They averaged the league-worst 15.5 points per game under Hackett, which is Denver's fewest since 1971. So now I'm going to transition to what happened last week in Week 16 of the NFL. It was one of the coldest Sundays in NFL history. Baltimore, there was a home game there for the Ravens. It was 16 degrees, feeling like 2 degrees with the wind chill. Carolina was home. It was 19 degrees there in Carolina, in Raleigh, North Carolina. It felt like 8 degrees with the wind chill. The Chicago Bears were home at Soldier Field. It was 9 degrees there at game time, feeling like negative 10 degrees as a wind chill. The Cleveland Browns were home. It was 5 degrees in Cleveland, feeling like negative 13 with the wind chill. So negative 13 in Cleveland with the wind chill and negative 10 in Chicago with the wind chill. And then Kansas City was also in the negatives. Nine degrees at Arrowhead Stadium, feeling like negative five degrees with the cold. And then Fox, where the Patriots were home, it was 15 degrees, feeling like two degrees. So one of the coldest days in NFL history. And I'm going to break down what happened. There were some upsets, a good amount of upsets, I should say. The Lions got blown up by the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers had 240 rush shots at half, which is actually the most for a team in the first half of the game since 2006. So records are broken in that game. Chuba Hubbard at halftime at six carries and 109 yards on the ground. Dante Foreman, another running back for that backfield of the Panthers. He had 10 carries and 104 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Hubbard and Foreman became the first teammates to rush for 100 yards in the first half since Maurice Jones-Drew and Fred Taylor did in 2006. And that's a stat from ESPN. They're the first teammates to each run for 100 yards in the first half of the game since 2006, which is pretty impressive. The Panthers had 364 yards on offense at half, which is their most in franchise history after the first half, which is pretty impressive. Quarterback Sam Donald played pretty well, 250 passing yards and a 68.18% completion percentage with a passing touchdown, zero interceptions. It was not sacked at all. So that Carolina offensive line was elite. Not only did they have 364 yards at half and have 240 rush yards at halftime, but they didn't allow a sack the entire game. 
Donald also added in a rushing touchdown and also 19 rushing yards with a 121.4 passer rating. And some other notable stats for the Panthers, they had 37 points, which was the most they scored in a game since 2019. They had 570 yards in the game, which is the most in a single game. And then they also had 320 rushing yards, which is a franchise record for a single game. So pretty impressive. They broke not only their most yards in a game and rushing yards in a game in their franchise's history, but they also had 37 points for the first time since 2019. Another blowout was the Los Angeles Rams blowing out the Denver Broncos 51-14. The Rams were up 31-6 at halftime. Really wasn't even a contest at all. I mean, Denver's just had an abysmal season, nightmare season for the Denver Broncos considering how much they traded to Landross and Wilson and then how much money they gave him. I think how much money they gave him is more of an issue than what they traded for him. Since the end of the day, you're going to have to give up at least two or three first-round picks to trade for a starting quarterback in today's day. That's just how it is. But giving the money that they gave... That's what the issue is. Giving Russell Wilson the money they gave him, that's really what the issue is for the Denver Broncos, especially considering, I mean, now they're tied to Russell Wilson through the 2028 season. Signing him to a five-year, $245 million contract extension was one of the worst decisions that franchise could have ever done, especially considering how bad they are this season. I mean, that team's going nowhere. That Denver team is going nowhere. So they got blown off 51-14. to Rams quarterback Baker Mayfield was locked in for Los Angeles, 24 for 28 passing, 230 yards and two touchdowns. Cam Makers had a great day on the ground for the Rams as well as the running back, had 23 carries for 118 yards and three touchdowns. Career day for the running back, who's actually inactive for most of the early part of the season since he wanted a trade, wanted out of Los Angeles, and then ended up not being traded with all their injuries, ends up finding himself back on the depth chart and had a great day, 23 carries, 118 yards, and three touchdowns. Tyler Higby caught both the Baker Mayfield's touchdown passes. He had nine catches for 94 yards with those two touchdown receptions. Linebacker Bobby Wagner had a great game as well. He's really been a great player his whole entire NFL career, and I think when people saw him going over to Los Angeles, they thought he was washed up and thought maybe he wasn't going to be the player he was in Seattle, but he had a great game. Eight tackles, a sack, a tackle for a loss, two quarterback hits, a pass defended, and an interception. And now I'm going to transition to the Denver Broncos. Abysmal game for Russell Wilson. 15-27 passing for 214 yards, a touchdown, along with three interceptions. Three interceptions and a 54.2 passer rating. The only positive, I guess, for Denver was that now they're two less games of the season, so they're closer to the end of the season. But, I mean, this nightmare of a contract they gave Russell Wilson is going to haunt them all the way until 2028, in my opinion. The only positive in this single game was that linebacker Alex Singleton had a great game for Denver. 20 total tackles and 13 solo tackles. So, at the end of the day, that was only probably bright spot for that Denver team getting blown off 51-14. to now I'm going to transition to another upset. The Green Bay Packers beating the Miami Dolphins. The Packers improved to 7-8 on the year, beating Miami last week 26-20. They've now won three games in a row and faced the Vikings in a huge game today at home at 425. They do have a chance of still making the playoffs. So at the end of the day, if they were to win out and get some help along the way, they could find themselves in the playoffs. Last week, that was a tough fourth quarter for Tua Tagovailoa, who threw three interceptions in the quarter, finishing game 16-25 passing for a touchdown, 310 passing yards and three interceptions. Jalen Waddle had a very good game for Miami's offense, five catches, 143 yards and a touchdown. The Texans defeated the Titans last week. That's another big upset. If the Texans win another game of their last two games and the Bears were to lose out in their last two games, the Bears would have the first overall pick. And the Texans have been playing better as of late, beating the Titans last week, and now, two weeks ago, they almost beat the Chiefs in overtime, and then beating the Titans last week, 90-14, to on the road at Tennessee. It's pretty impressive. So at the end of the day, if the Texans were to win another game and the Bears were to lose their last two, the Bears would have the first pick in the NFL draft. 
The Texans have played better as of late. I mean, Levy Smith in his first year as a head coach there. Who knows what they're going to do at the end of the season. But I'm impressed with the way they've been fighting at the end of the season. Almost beating Kansas City and then beating the Titans last week, who still are alive in the playoffs race uh, in the AFC. Brady had a huge comeback win in overtime last week over the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday Night Football. Tom Brady finished the game 32-48 passing for 281 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. Arizona started Trace McSorley, their quarterback, since Colt McCoy was out with an injury, and then also Kyler Murray's done for the year with a torn ACL. McSorley was 24-45 passing for a 53.3% complete percentage, 217 yards, and an interception. The Cardinals now fall to 4-11 on the year. Very disappointing season for them. If the Bucs can beat Carolina this week, they can clinch the NFC South. So the Bucs win, they're in, and the Bucs right now 7-8 on the year, very much underperforming this season, but can still find themselves in the playoffs hosting a wild card game if they were to win this week. A few other games I want to mention, the Los Angeles Chargers clinched a playoff spot last week, beating the Indianapolis Colts in Monday Night Football 20-3. Quarterback Nick Foles got the start for Indianapolis after Matt Ryan was benched, struggled heavily 17-29 passing for 143 yards and three interceptions. The Colts struggled to move the ball as a whole, though. They only gained 173 yards on offense. They were 1-4 of in fourth down conversions, and they allowed seven sacks. So the Giants are playing the Colts at the perfect time. The Giants win today. They are in the playoffs, and I'm going to preview that game in just a minute. As I said, the Chargers clinched a spot in the AFC playoffs with a win last week. And another thing, if you look at that Colts team, is that they're not only just losing games, and now they're on a five-game losing streak, they've been outscored 84-3 in the fourth quarter during their five-game losing streak. That comes from a stat from CBS. 84-3 they've been outscored in the fourth quarter during their five-game losing streak. And if you look at it, under Jeff Saturday as a whole, they've been outscored 90-9 in the fourth quarter. 90-9. So at the end of the day, even if they're in a close game at the end of the game, they're getting blown out in the fourth quarter. And that was obviously a big part of how the Vikings came back in that game when they were down 33-0 and a half. The Minnesota Vikings found a way to get back because at the end of the day, I mean, the Colts just did nothing, nothing after halftime to try to win that game. So it's not a good look for Jeff Saturday. And now I'm going to transition to the Giants-Colts game, which is today at 1 o'clock. The Giants are home. The Giants, if they beat the Colts today, they're in the playoffs. Win today and they are in. And at the end of the day, I don't know if anyone really saw the Giants having a chance of making the playoffs this year. I know I did. But to see the Giants perform the way they have this year already, even if they didn't make the playoffs, whether they make it or whether they don't, I think this year is an accomplishment in its own. It's a building year at the end of the day. I mean, Joe Shane, Brian Dable, they came over in their first year trying to rebuild while trying to win at the same time. Rebuilding while trying to win at the same time is not easy to do. Because at the end of the day, most of the time, if you go one foot in, one foot out, it doesn't work. You've got to go either full into the rebuild or go in all-now win mode. And Joe Shannon and Brian Dable found a way to do both. I mean, they came in, didn't really have much flexibility to make too many moves since a lot of the cap space we had left really were just spent on God, Mark Lewinsky, and maybe a couple other pieces as well. But we didn't really have much money to spend. So the team that's out there right now is Dave Gettleman's guys. And Joe Shannon and Brian Dable probably came in here without expectations of making the playoffs this year. I'm sure they wanted to do it, but they probably didn't expect, hey, we're going to be a 9-win team, 10-win team, and make the playoffs. And the way you look at it right now, the Giants win today, they're in. They're in. And I'm so happy to say that because I know how much we've gone through now over the past five or six years, seven years now, to get to where we are today and have a chance of making the playoffs. I mean, it's January 1st, 2023. The last time the Giants made the playoffs was 2016. So there's a lot on the line in today's game. And I'm going to preview some things in today's game really quick before I talk a little bit more about the Giants' chances of making the playoffs. Only three quarterbacks in the NFL have 3,000 passing yards and 600 rushing yards on the year. That's quarterback Josh Allen of the Bills, Jalen Hurts, quarterback for the Eagles, and Daniel Jones. 
So that's a pretty good category there to be in, especially considering Allen and Hurts are both MVP candidates. Giants safety, Zave McKinney will be back in the game today in the Giants lineup. First game back from since week eight. He suffered a hinge injury during the bye week uh, in an ATV accident. He will be back today, though, which is a huge add for that Giants secondary. They missed him heavily and have missed Dory Jackson, who will also be out today. Rodarius Williams will be out today and Dane Belton. So there's three guys right there in the Giants secondary that will be out. Cornerback Dory Jackson, cornerback Rodarius Williams, and safety Dane Belton. But they will be getting back Zavi McKinney, their starting safety and captain, which is pretty much... All the Giants could ask for, considering when you go out with a hand injury, especially considering one that's kept him out since week eight, you might not have got him back at all during the season. So getting him back for a chance to win today and get into the playoffs, that's huge. The Giants will also have linebacker Aziz Ojalari on the field. He will be playing today. And one thing I want to look at is that the Colts last week allowed seven sacks to the Chargers. Seven sacks. So you have to hope Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojalari can generate pressure on Nick Foles and cause him to make mistakes, whether it be a fumble, whether it be an interception, whether it be a sack. Make him make mistakes, especially considering he threw three picks last week and was 17 to 29 passing. You have to cause him to make mistakes. You have to make him force a pass and make a mistake. So I already broke down the Giants inactives. Now I'm going to break down some of the Colts inactives. Quarterback Matt Ryan will be inactive in today's game. What a terrible year for him. Lost his job, was benched twice now, and is not going to play in the last two games of the season. Cornerback Kenny Moore will be out in today's game for the Colts secondary. And then also pass rusher Yannick Ngakwe was placed in the IR a day or two ago now with a throat injury. He's leading the team in sacks this year with nine and a half sacks and will be out in today's game. And the Colts are also without their start running back, Jonathan Taylor. He was placed on the injured reserve a few weeks ago now with a high ankle sprain and will be done for the rest of the year. So I already talked about the Giants can make the playoffs if they were to win today. Let's say the Giants were to lose. They can still clinch a playoff spot today if the Seahawks and Commanders lost, or if Seattle, Detroit, and Green Bay all lost, or if Detroit, Green Bay, or Washington all lost. So there's four scenarios. Winning in, Seahawks and Commanders lose. That's the second one. The third one, Seattle, Detroit, and Green Bay loses. Or the fourth one, Detroit, Green Bay, and Washington loses. So there's four avenues the Giants can make the playoffs today and clinch and get themselves into the playoffs for this season. But at the end of the day, the best way to do it is win and in, take care of it on your own, and win the game that you can control. You never want to rely on other teams, and I think that's what the Giants are focusing on today is winning in today's game. And I'm looking forward to seeing what the Giants can do. This is the first time the Giants have had a meaningful game in January since 2016. I know obviously in 2020 the Giants almost won the NFC East with six wins, almost sneaking into the playoffs, but then the Philadelphia Eagles threw that game against the Washington football team trying to get a better draft pick and then ended up hurting the Giants' chances of making the playoffs since... If the Eagles were to win that game, leave Jalen Hurts on the field rather than putting in Nate Sudfeld to finish the game and end up throwing that game so the Giants couldn't make the playoffs. So that was a problem. The Giants had to rely on the Eagles to win that game. Today, the best way the Giants can get into the playoffs is winning. Win today and you're in the most meaningful football game they've played since 2016 in January, and you get a chance of making the playoffs in the first year of the Joe Shane and Brian Dable era, which is just a miracle. I know not many people probably imagine that. I know I did, but this is the chance for the Giants to turn the franchise around completely. I know this year was a building year, but making the playoffs in a year that everyone expects you to rebuild is huge. It shows we're a year or two ahead of what most people thought we'd be at. People probably thought we'd tank for a year or two in the Joe Shane and Brian Dable era, give it a year or two of rebuilding, and then try to make the playoffs. We're doing it in their first year, which is very impressive. The next game I'm going to break down is the Patriots-Dolphins. The Patriots will be playing the Dolphins today. The Dolphins are without Edge Bradley Chubb, cornerback Xavier Howard, tackle Teron Armstead, and quarterback Tua Tagovailoa. He is out with a concussion his second of the year. I just read a report that during the week he was watching film with head coach Mike McDaniel, and there were multiple plays that Tua Tagovailoa could not remember. And 
Mike McDaniel said, oh, we should probably get you checked for concussion if you don't remember. And obviously, memory loss is a symptom of a concussion. And lo and behold, Tua Tagovailoa has his second concussion of the year and will keep him out of this week's game. And who knows what next week. Obviously, his health is more important than a football game. So at the end of the day, Tua Tagovailoa will be out in today's game. And quarterback Teddy Bridgewater will be getting the start for the Miami Dolphins. The Patriots will be without rookie cornerback Marcus Jones, cornerback Jalen Mills, wide receiver Devontae Parker, and tight end Jonu Smith. If the Patriots were to win today... They have a chance for a win-and-in situation next week against the Buffalo Bills. The Patriots beat the Dolphins today and then beat the Bills next week. They make the playoffs. Obviously, that game's in Buffalo, and Buffalo may still need to win that game, obviously, depending on seeding. So Buffalo's going to want to win that game. So the Patriots are going to be in a tough win-and-in situation next week if they were to win this week. But the best way you can make the playoffs is if you win out and win both of your games. So the Patriots have a chance still. If the Dolphins were to win today and the Jets were to lose, Miami clinches a playoff berth. So there's a lot on line in this game. Now I'm going to move on to the Panthers-Bucks game. The Buccaneers are without tight end Cameron Brate and their best cornerback, Carlton Davis. The Panthers are without starting cornerback, J.C. Horn. Cornerback Josh Norman will be getting the start for the Panthers today. He was working in a coffee shop last week before getting the call from Carolina to come back home and play for them and a chance for them to make the playoffs because today the NFC South comes down to this game. If the Bucs win today, they clinch the NFC South and have a playoff berth. If the Panthers were to win today, they set themselves up for a game next week where they can have a win-and-in situation like the Patriots. So there's a lot on the line, and now Josh Norman's getting a chance to start for a team that has a chance of making the playoffs. So obviously a lot on the line in Carolina. Quarterback Sam Donald has been great for the Panthers over the last four games. In the last four games, he started off four after coming off the injured reserve. Three and one record, 759 yards, four touchdowns, and zero picks. With 15 carries of 54 yards and two rushing touchdowns. So six total touchdowns and no interceptions with 54 rushing yards and 759 for a passing yard total with a 3 and 1 record. Pretty impressive run there for Sam Donald in his four starts this year for Carolina. 45 year old Tom Brady has 21 touchdowns passing on the year for the Tampa Bay Bucks with nine interceptions. Here's one thing about the Bucks though they're 7 and 8. So it's not the season they envisioned. Obviously, everyone probably thought a Super Bowl run. But if they win today, they're in the playoffs. And I know everyone does not want to play Tom Brady if he were to make the playoffs. So at the end of the day, the Bucs can make the playoffs today with a win. And at the end of the day, once you make the playoffs, records don't matter. Records go away once you make the playoffs. And what I mean by records go away is when everyone makes the playoffs, what you did in the regular season, what awards you won, what division you won, how many games you were up, how many wins in a row you had, what your record is overall, everyone's 0-0 zero zero when you get to the playoffs. Everyone's 0-0. Zero and, zero, and anything can happen. So Brady obviously has a chance now to clinch a playoff spot. And a lot's on the line in that game against the Carolina Panthers today for that Bucs team. Brady's last four games, though, he's been struggling. Seven passing touchdowns to seven picks with two fumbles lost, 1,127 passing yards, and a 65.6% completion percentage over his last four games. Seven touchdowns to nine turnovers, seven interceptions, and two fumbles. So not the best run there for Brady, but hopefully he recovers today and gets that team a win to put them in the playoffs. The next game I'm going to move on to is the Jacksonville Jaguars versus Houston Texans. There's not really much on the line in this game since the AFC South will come down to that Week 18 battle between the Tennessee Titans and the Jacksonville Jaguars next week. So no matter who wins today in that Jacksonville and Houston game, at the end of the day, it really comes down to who wins next week in that Week 18 game to see who wins the AFC South, whether it's Tennessee or Jacksonville. Jacksonville, though, at one point this season was 3-7, and seven, and they've turned their season around completely. And obviously that's a lot to do with how Trevor Lawrence has been playing. And Trevor Lawrence will be playing in the game today. He was limited this week with the toe injury. He will be playing, though. And Trevor Lawrence's progression over the season has been unreal to watch. Unreal to watch. Weeks 1 through 8, Jacksonville had a 2-6 and six record. 
Trevor Lawrence completed 62.5% of his passes, only threw 10 touchdown passes and had six picks, and had an 84.8 passer rating. So that's weeks one through eight. Now you look at weeks nine through 16. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, top three to five quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. I'd put him top three. Weeks nine through 16, Jacksonville's had a five and two record when they were two and six in weeks one through eight. Trevor Lawrence has a 69.7% completion percentage in weeks 9 through 16, when he only had a 62.5% completion percentage in weeks 1 through 8. He has 14 passing touchdowns to one pick in weeks 9 through 16, compared to the 10 touchdown passes to six picks he had in weeks 1 through 8. Now you look at his passer rating. 108.2 passer rating from weeks 9 to 16, when he only had an 84.8 passer rating in week 1 through week 8. So I'm pretty impressive running, and they've turned their season around completely, and a lot of that has to do with how great Trevor Lawrence has played this season. He's been excellent to watch. Sensational season for Trevor Lawrence, and he's made himself a cornerstone of the future of the NFL. Now to move on to the Minnesota Vikings-Green Bay Packers game. Green Bay needs to win today to stay alive. They've won three in a row, but they have to really win out to even give themselves a chance. And they're also going to have to get some help from other teams. So I'm going to break down that game. Green Bay, as I said, needs to win out. They've won three in a row, so they're on a good run right now. The Vikings, 12-3 on the year. They still want to win games too, though. They still want to help their positioning in the NFC playoffs. So at the end of the day, this is a big game for both teams. I think Green Bay wins this game, though, to give themselves a chance next week to beat the Detroit Lions. And they need a little bit of help along the way. But they can make the playoffs if they were to win this week against Minnesota and then win next week as well. And you look at how they've done it. Aaron Rodgers has really turned the season around for that Green Bay team. In his last six games... 1,240 passing yards with 10 touchdowns of six picks and a 95.5 passer rating. Overall in the season, 24 touchdowns to 11 picks and a 64.8% completion percentage. So he's really turned things around for that Green Bay team. Last six games, I said 10 touchdowns to six picks. So as I said, Green Bay can still get themselves in the playoffs if they were to win out and get some help along the way if Washington and Seattle were to lose and also Carolina as well, which Carolina, if they were to lose today, I think they're out anyways. So Green Bay wins today, and they win next week. They could very well find themselves back in the NFC playoffs. So the last game in a preview is the Buffalo Bills versus Cincinnati Bengals. Both these teams have already clinched playoff spots in the AFC. Two of the best offenses in football, though, and both of them are fighting for seeding in the AFC playoff race. So at the end of the day, both of these teams clinch, but you won't always improve your seeding to hopefully try to get home field advantage. So two of the best offenses in football going at it, Buffalo averaging 28 points per game, which is fourth best in the NFL, Cincinnati at 26.1 points per game, which is fifth best in the NFL. So two top five offenses in points per game in the NFL going at it on Monday night. Two MVP candidates facing off as well. Quarterback Joe Burrow, 34 touchdowns and 12 picks on the year with 4,260 passing yards. Quarterback Josh Allen, 4,029 passing yards with 32 touchdowns to 13 picks. So very impressive year for both quarterbacks. Buffalo winning six in a row. Cincinnati winning seven in a row. Cincinnati is now 11-2 in the last 13 games since starting the season 0-2. So very much a great game to watch. Two of the best offenses, two of the best quarterbacks in the league, and two of the hottest teams in the NFL going at it. Buffalo winning six in a row and Cincinnati winning seven in a row. Give me Cincinnati in this one in a close game. I think Cincinnati wins this one 34-30. So now the last segment that I want to talk about is the Derek Haas situation in Las Vegas. I want to break down what's going on there and give you guys my thoughts on that whole situation with Derek Haas being benched. So Raiders head coach in the last week made the decision to bench quarterback Derek Haas for the last two games of the season. Reports said Derek Haas will be taking leave of absence from the team in order to not be a distraction for that Vegas locker room. So I don't think really he was going to be a distraction. I think it just means he's moving on and Vegas is moving on. And according to reports now in the last day, 
Derek Carr will no longer be a Las Vegas Raider by next season. And they have a decision to make Vegas, whether they cut him in the offseason or trade him, in the next couple months, Derek Carr will no longer be a Las Vegas Raider. So with Derek Carr being benched, 50-year quarterback Jarrett Stidham will be getting the start for the Raiders this weekend against the San Francisco 49ers. This will be his first career start. He's played in 11 games for the Patriots and the Raiders in his career. Two touchdowns to four picks with 342 passing yards in his career. And that's the thing that's confusing to me. Because Josh McDaniel says, oh, we're going to value what we have in Jarrett Stidham. Well, you already know what you have in him. I and mean, he's a backup quarterback at the end of the day. He's not going to be a franchise quarterback. You're not going to see something great in him in the last two games. Like, okay, this is the guy we want to build around. Especially considering you're getting rid of a guy like Derek Carr, who was your franchise cornerstone. They took Derek Carr in the second round of the 2014 NFL Draft. 24 touchdowns to 14 picks on the year. Hit 3,522 passing yards with a 60.8% completion percentage and an 86.3 passer rating on the year for the Las Vegas Raiders. Had a tough game last weekend against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Had a touchdown and three interceptions. 14 interceptions actually most in the NFL this year and actually tied his career high as well. So it wasn't the best year for him, but he's also in the first year of a new system. And that new system from Josh McDaniels is not one that's easy to learn in your first year. It's not easy to get the grip of that entire system within one year. He used in New England for years, and it was easy, obviously, for Tom Brady to get. But bringing a whole new system for Derek Carr, especially considering when he never seen it before and now he's just trying to adjust, you got to give him probably a second year in that system to see what he has. Because Derek Carr's a good quarterback, in my opinion. Obviously, yeah, that was a bad loss last week, losing to the Steelers, having three interceptions. And obviously, that ended, for the most part, the Raiders' playoff hopes, even though they're still somewhat alive. They need a lot of help, but they're still somewhat alive. You get rid of the guy who's been your franchise quarterback since 2014. In his career for the Raiders, 35,222 passing yards with a 64.6% completion percentage, 217 passing touchdowns to 99 picks, and a 91.8 passer rating. That's pretty good stats right there. Considering all of the issues that have been around Derek Carr's team, all the liabilities and misses and the ineptitude of the Vegas Raiders and the Oakland Raiders when they were Oakland at the time, there's been so much dysfunctionality around that team that how can you blame Derek Carr? How do you say he's the problem? And I know this is strictly a financial decision. He signed a three-year, $121.5 million extension with Las Vegas in April. So in around eight or nine months, they made the decision, okay, this guy's not the answer. We want to get rid of him. And I know why they're doing it. It is a money decision. According to ESPN, if Derek Carr were to be cut, he'd only carry a $5.625 million salary cap hit next season if he is cut or traded within three days of the Super Bowl. His $32.9 million salary for the next year and $7.5 million of his 2024 salary would be fully guaranteed if he were to be injured or kept by that Raiders team. So the Raiders could save around $40 million in the process if they were to trade or cut Derek Carr. He's due $40 million in 2023, and the new league year starts three days after the Super Bowl ends. So three days after the Super Bowl, by that point, Vegas has to figure out what they want to do. Do they want to trade him or do they want to cut him? The Raiders will only eat $5.6 million in dead cap space if they were to release him before February 15th, which is three days after the Super Bowl. So the Raiders can save up themselves in the future by getting rid of Derek Carr and saving all that money, saving around $35 to $40 million, and either use that money in free agency or sign a quarterback. Maybe Tom Brady, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, both those guys had success in that Josh McDaniel system, when he was with the Patriots, both of those obviously were quarterbacks of the Patriots as well, Jimmy Garoppolo and Tom Brady. Maybe they'd go out and get one of those two. But they'd save $40 million in the process by getting rid of Derek Carr. 
Since I said $32.9 million of salary for 2023 is guaranteed and $7.5 million he's due in 2024 is fully guaranteed three days after the Super Bowl. So they're going to make a decision on him. Whether they want to cut him or trade him, it's going to be one or the other. He is done, according to Adam Schefter in Vegas. The Las Vegas Raiders will be getting rid of Derek Carr no matter what they decide to do. Whether they want to keep him after the three-day window after the Super Bowl and try to trade him or they want to cut him before then. Because they could end up keeping him after that three-day window and maybe hope a team that they trade with will pick up all that money. But at the end of the day, I think that's too much of a liability. I think they're probably just going to say, let's trade him now because it's a better decision making sure we can get rid of him and either cut him or trade him before the February 15th deadline so we don't owe him $40 million. And then at the end of the day, no matter what we do, we're only losing $5.6 million in cap space. So... Either way, they're going to make a decision, but I do not blame Derek Carr for this situation. Now I'm going to give you a breakdown of all of the things that have been around Derek Carr and all the liabilities, the misses, the ineptitude, the dysfunctionality, the corrupt run office and management and ownership. Derek Carr is getting blamed here, obviously. And I know it's a financial decision, but since Derek Carr was drafted in 2014, the Raiders defense is dead last in takeaways in the NFL with 157 takeaways and also dead last in points per game allowed in the NFL with 26.1 points per game allowed. So Derek Haas had no help defensively. And now you look at what they've done in the draft. The Raiders have missed in the draft more than any other team in football in the last five years. Only two of their last six first-round picks since 2019 are still on the team. They reached heavily in the draft over the years. 2019, taking Cleland Farrell fourth overall defensive end from Clemson, has been a healthy scratch at games to them. So that shows how much of a miss that was. They didn't pick up his fifth-year option. Not a really surprised considering he doesn't even play for them that much. They took Josh Jacobs with the 24th overall pick, probably the best draft pick of the six of them, but they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. 27th overall in the 2019 draft, they took Jonathan Abram. He ended up being cut. 2020, they took Henry Ruggs, a wide receiver at Alabama, 12th overall. He was driving under the influence over a year ago now when he got into a car accident and killed a woman and ended up being cut and arrested. In that same draft, seven picks later at 19th overall, they took Damon Arnett, a cornerback from Ohio State. He was released over a year ago now by the Raiders after off-the-field issues. So Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett were both released by the Vegas Raiders in their second season. In their second season. They didn't even play two full seasons, and those two first-round picks were already wiped away. Then you look at 2021. They took tackle Alex Leatherwood out of Alabama at 17th overall. He was released after just one season. Ruggs, Arnett, and Leatherwood did not even play two full seasons for the Raiders. Their last three first-round picks since they didn't have one in 2022 due to that trade for Devontae Adams with the Green Bay Packers. And you want to know another thing? They had six head coaches since 2014 under Derek Carr. How can Derek Carr succeed when you have so many misses? Clement Farrell was a reach. Jonathan Abram was cut. Henry Ruggs was cut. Damon Arnett was cut. Alex Leatherwood was cut. That's five first-round picks right there that are completely wasted. And that Josh Jacobs wasn't really a waste of a pick, but they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. So he couldn't end up walking at the end of the season. You, you don't get anything from him. So at the end of the day, you got to look at it. That's six out of six first-round picks that won't even get a second contract from the Raiders probably. And then you add in six head coaches. Derek Carr's had six head coaches since 2014. Since being drafted, he has had six head coaches. You know how many head coaches Tom Brady's had? In his time with New England, just one, Bill Belichick. And he's had two now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers since Bruce Arians retired and Todd Bowles took over. 
But if you look at it, six head coaches for Derek Carr, how can you succeed? That means six new offensive systems, six new head coaches, six new play styles, and six different coaches. I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to be hard to find your footing in any system because by the time you're trying to learn that system, you're onto another head coach. And this isn't all Derek Carr's fault. The ineptitude of the Raiders and their dysfunctional front office and ownership is not on Derek Carr. And don't forget this. The Raiders gave John Gruden a 10-year, $100 million deal to be their head coach in 2018. Just for him to resign as head coach in October of 2021, a year and a few months ago now, due to the discovery of emails with offensive slurs in them that Gruden wrote. So not only did they waste five of their last six first-round picks in reaching for all five of them and releasing them before they could even get a second contract, and I know they didn't release Clement Farrell, but he's not going to get a second contract from them. So that means five out of six of those first-round picks I just named definitely will not get second contracts because they've either been cut already like Abram, Ruggs, Arnett, and Leatherwood, or they're not good like Clement Farrell. And then Josh Jacobs, who knows what they're going to do in the future. I don't know if they're going to pay him. But that means they could legitimately have lost six out of their last six first-round picks without getting a second contract. Ruggs and Arnett were cut during their second season with the Raiders. Alex Leatherwood was cut after just one season. And then John Gruden was out as the head coach in October of 2021 after signing a 10-year, $100 million deal to be the head coach in 2018. How could Derek Carr succeed? I mean, I already mentioned how bad the defense has been. Dead last in takeaways in the NFL and dead last in points per game allowed in the NFL since Derek Carr was drafted in 2014. He's had six head coaches, and with all those first-round misses recently, how could the Raiders go anywhere? How could Derek Carr go anywhere? Derek Carr made three Pro Bowls in his ninth seasons with the Raiders. And made the playoffs twice with them, including once last season. How could Derek Carr succeed in that system? How? Considering how bad that team has been around him ownership-wise, management-wise, and their decision-making, and then also head coaching-wise and drafting-wise. How can you succeed? I feel bad for Derek Carr. I really do. You look at what he's done this year, 24 touchdowns to 14 picks. I mean, at the end of the day, that's a new system. It's a new system learning McDaniel's system. Josh McDaniels, it's a hard system to learn. So I don't really blame Derek Carr. Nine seasons, getting to the playoffs twice, considering how bad they've been drafting and defensively, I mean, it's pretty impressive on its own. And also, can't forget this. He's a big reason that they landed Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams wanted to be a Las Vegas Raider because obviously he grew up in California, was a Raiders fan growing up, and obviously his family has a lot of Raiders fans. But he wanted to be... In Vegas with Derek Carr since they were teammates at Fresno State. He wanted to run that back. And he just put out a great Instagram post four days ago. He said about Derek Carr and a picture of both of them. He said, this man gave everything he had. The reason I'm a Raider. One of the most disciplined and loving people I know. Got my brother's back through whatever. And if you can't respect it, then he goes on to say some expletives. But at the end of the day, I don't really blame Derek Carr. I don't. And Devontae Adams obviously came over here for a purpose to play with Derek Carr. You're going to lose the locker room probably now. Especially considering Josh McDaniels is a first-year head coach there in Las Vegas. And the chances of them making the playoffs are very slim to none now with that loss last week to the Steelers. If there's a player that's been there for a long time with the Raiders and they're big fans of Derek Carr and they're friends with them, that's a way to lose the locker room, making a decision like that and starting Jarrett Stidham. It's the way that Giants lost the locker room when Ben McAdoo made the decision to bench Eli Manning and ruin his consecutive start streak to start Geno Smith, a quarterback that had no future with the franchise. And that kind of reminds me of this 
Jarrett Stidham situation. He has no future with the Raiders. He's a career backup. So making the decision to bench your franchise cornerstone like Derek Carr, and I know he's not the same level that Eli Manning is historically. He doesn't have two Super Bowl rings. and doesn't have the same brand that Eli Manning had. But at the end of the day, you're benching your franchise quarterback since 2014 for a guy that's a career backup that has no future in your franchise. So I don't blame Derek Carr, and I think Derek Carr had too much around him that set him up for failure. And I feel bad for Derek Carr. Wishing him nothing but the best, and we'll see what happens in the offseason. Anyways, that does conclude today's episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. Hope you guys have a good one. And Happy New Year to all. Wishing everyone the best and happiest 2023. Thank you for always listening, and I appreciate it. Have a good one.